All right, everybody, this is Gene Nathan. It is Crosstown Conversations post-storm and hopefully post-storm for the summer. But who knows, because this is definitely the beginning of the summer of storms. And um, we had us a nice early one. Um, and it was a it was a very interesting, crazy darn storm. It it just uh, didn't seem to know um, what it was doing. It was uh, not exactly one of the more well organized events. And um, on the other hand, however, I was for one, and I I'm, I'm, I haven't had a lot of time to talk to a lot of people around town, but I'm sure uh, that a lot of people share my opinion that it was one of the best organized I've ever experienced in terms of the way city government and our citizens handled it. So I was blown away by that, so to speak. Not quite blown away. Ensconced in a hotel room, getting a lot of work done, so it was actually uh, a good break for me. But um, it, it was quite a, a, a strange situation. And, you know, I, 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 in my newsletter, for those of you who read it and get it, and, and if you don't, please... Uh, go on um, Crosstown Conversations uh, website and or Facebook and sign up for it. But, um, you know, this is the summer of storms on more than one level. We have some storms going on up in Washington and across the country, and those are no fun at all. Um, not that any storm is fun, but um, we have a different kind here, and it has to do with um, our weather and our environment and our geography. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm just going to jump right into... Um, getting into the details of, of, of how the city put together what we saw on television, on our phones, in, the, in print, um, of how we organized this. Um, so we're going to start out, we're going to be talking with Colin Arnold, who's the director of the Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Preparedness in New Orleans. And we're going to follow and uh, join in Patrick Armstrong, who's with, um, I love this name, NOLA Trash Mob. Okay, <laughs> He'll explain what that means. But you can imagine it has something to do with what citizens can do to support and uh, supplement what the city uh, did so well. So, um, you know, I, as I said, Colin, when you walked in the door, I, your face has become familiar to me because I did watch. I know, right? Oy. I must have watched, I don't know, what were there, about two a day <clears throat> on average? We did one a day, and uh, there is uh, an opportunity for us uh, to go to two a day press conferences, depending on the situation. This situation, it turned out we did not need that. We were planning to do that on Sunday. But uh, ultimately, we were I guess to with not the reruns that. of sections of the news conferences, it seemed like um, they were ever present throughout the day because definitely you know, the and, news and people kept using them and comprehensive, and and that determines what the second one would be is how much new information do you have to pass on? You know, you want to inform the public. Uh, as much as you can, give them all the information, uh, the, the best information that you have so that they can arm themselves with knowledge to make better decisions. And so. And avoid redundancy. Exactly. And, and, and that's. people would tune out on and that. And exactly. So if you yeah. go in the evening with something that you really don't have a whole lot more to say, you might be being counterproductive there. Sure. Well, uh, give me a little bit of an insider's view of this. Okay. So, you know, it was very smooth, smooth as silk on, on the uh, surface. Um, everybody um, had uh, the key points that they were needing to make for the public for the different um, uh, departments. 
Um, and the mayor was fabulous, of course, and kind of um, negotiating the entire program. But I want to hear a little bit more about how you put this all together. Tell me, I'm sure there were a lot of people scurrying around from desk to desk in the background. That's um, like the duck, you know. You, right. you only see what's on top of the water. Um, exactly. And so what you're not seeing is hundreds of people that hundreds. are mm-hmm. both on the ground. Well, we have over 1,500, almost 2,000 first responders that work this event just for the city, uh, you know, police, fire, and EMS. And uh, you, you have them out in the field actually doing the hard work, and, and obviously, you know, we, we care about them very much and want to make sure that we're making the best decisions possible about how to fight what we're, what we're looking at fighting, uh, in this case, Hurricane Barry. And so then you have uh, our emergency operations center in City Hall, which is 80 to 100 people per shift, 12-hour shifts. We worked up there uh, from uh, Thursday through Sunday night uh, nonstop. And those are the people that are out there reaching out, getting information, giving information, determining what resources are needed in the field, what needs to be met. And then with that information, every day at 10 a.m., we're giving the mayor a daily briefing. And it's, uh, you know, 60 to 70 department heads. So you were heads. first giving the mayor a briefing Correct. before you were giving us the briefing, of course. Exactly. So, so we sit in a, a full, right. uh, picture of what's We going sit on. in kind of a large conference room uh, with a horseshoe kind of shape. She sits at the head, and we go department by department, both city for our local departments, our state partners, the state police, the National Guard, and even some of our federal partners with FEMA, the Army Corps of Engineers, uh, and, and, and the like, Coast Guard. So... So she's already armed with over an hour, usually an hour, an hour and 15 minutes worth of the most up-to-date information that we have. And then we have this joint information center, or what we call a JIC, that is capturing all this and developing what we're going to have the department heads and the public safety heads speak about at the mayor's conference, at the mayor's press conference, which follows right behind the daily briefing. So you were really kind of, again, parsing out what um, each department needed to make sure people heard. Because that was, that was one of the things that uh, struck me, that um, th- there was a, the, the, the information took the form um, primarily of not just telling people what was going on and what to expect, but what they could be doing. That was such an emphasis that came across what they could be doing to help, to stay off the streets, to check their catch basins, you know, not to be parking their cars in the way, and and so on. I I really felt that um, that made it a hand-in-glove or a hand-in-hand kind of communication, not just here's what's happening, but rather here's what's happening and here's what your your role is in it. This mayor is really big about personal responsibility and about, you know, being honest with people and being straightforward, giving people the information they need to make decisions. And I believe, as she believes, that when people are given good information, they make good choices. And I think that that was perfectly demonstrated by this event. We, you know, people threw around the word curfew all the time. We weren't going to do a curfew. Curfew implies that the police, instead of out there protecting people from potential floodwaters, are going to be out arresting people. And that's not what this is about. The mayor was very clear. We'll tell the people that they need to be inside their house and they'll do it. And I'm telling you, Friday night, French Quarter, empty. CBD, 
empty. And I just know that from being around that area. I was in, but it was around the city. I was yeah. in, in the French Quarter. I stayed at the Monteleone. That's my regular hurricane headquarters. And, uh, yeah, there was, I had to walk my dog, and there was just nobody out there. You know, and I, I just believe that, you know, there was a couple factors. I think, you know, the city, uh, unfortunately, we have a, a very unique relationship with rain. And so flooding is always a potential. Yeah. We have to pump every drop out. That's exactly say, right. Right? right. And then I think that the high river situation was a, was a great unknown for many, including us in government, and was a concern for the public. And it should have been a concern. Fortunately, uh, you know, even though we've been at High River for eight or nine months now, uh, that river crested far below what the projections were, thankfully, you know. And I think that that, those factors in itself made a difference in what, in what people, what level of preparedness people were willing to take when we said, hey, after eight o'clock, why don't you stay inside, shelter in place? This is the smart thing to do. And people did it. Yeah, the shelter in place was uh, definitely a theme that we um, heard over again. Someone's probably going to write some kind of funk song about it before <laughs> it's all over. It'll be the next who dat expression. Exactly. Shelter what? in place. Yes, in place you must shelter. <laughs> but it, it really, um, I give all the credit to the residents of New Orleans and the visitors. We had a lot of visitors in town, big convention. Yeah. Um, they Delta made the decision. Yeah. They made a smart decision to end early and mm-hmm. and and. You but know, they, a lot of them stayed here. No, they but stayed again, in their hotels. They stayed in right? their hotels. I mean, again, lobby. And they were having a good time. They were rocking. <laughs> Nicole, I have to tell you, in the lobby of the of the uh, Monteleone, they were rocking. I wasn't because I had work I had to do that I was so happy to be in my hotel room doing we, instead of You know, the along house. their original schedule, they were going to get out of, of the convention center Saturday night at midnight. You know, because they do 18, they, their conventions are robust. They do 18-hour days, you wow. know, at these conventions. So they were going to get out of of the convention center at midnight when we were projected to have, you know, 10 to 20 inches of rain. And they just, they made the right decision. They said, no, this is not, this is not going to work. We're going to, we're going to take it back to the hotel. And that's what they ended up doing. And, and then also the Rolling Stones concert presented a big challenge just as far as how are you going to staff public safety wise for a, a major, you know, Oh, that uh, went smoothly concert. too. Absolutely, they, they, I happened to be they lucky. To a friend of mine had to go out of town, so I got her tickets. Oh, there you go. And my husband and I—it was his birthday, so um, that was quite a birthday present to be able to get to see the Stones at the uh, Superdome. What an ex- experience that was! And yeah, everything seemed very smooth there. It, it, it All the credit like goes to were, the public. There was no deficit in terms of staffing. Everybody was out there. But you know, let me come back to what you said about the um, um, the expectations. So we kept hearing that. Oh my God! We we could have 10 to 20 inches of rain. Um, it, it began to look after we saw that wedge of dry air coming down. That peculiar, but I still think it was a kind of peculiar pattern from the north um, and eating into the storm. And I was saying, Wow! Thank goodness for that. But um, it, it seemed like nobody really trusted that 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 dry air was going to continue. And so there was still lingering all the way through, almost to the end, until it was up to Shreveport that we still might get that 10 to 20 inches. Tell me about why they thought, why the meteorologists, what they were telling you as to why they had that expectation. And was it just the dry wedge of dry air that that changed that, or what else was in play? They said the dryer had a lot to do with it. What what we have to go off of as city officials, as emergency managers, is the National Weather Service. So 
quite consistently from the beginning. They said, you know, originally 10 to 20 inches and and, and some areas with 25 within that whole forecast area, which is basically Baton Rouge to uh, Gulfport. You know, all all of southeast Louisiana is in our our weather forecast uh, area. But that stayed consistent throughout all the way until Sunday, even after we knew that, the you know, I got the word from uh, the weather service, um, probably about 10 o'clock Saturday night, I believe, that the river had crested at 17.1, yeah, yeah. or that was what they anticipated it going to. We all took a deep breath when we heard Whew, that. Yeah. That was one half. The, you know, we're still dealing with the rain, you know, but that was, for me, a huge relief because of the unknown factor of that, you know, and, and a lot of the preparations we did that we wouldn't normally do for a lower-level tropical storm or Category 1, we did because of, you know, the idea that we may have to rescue people, you know, so that brought to bear a lot of different uh, assets from the National Guard that we traditionally would not have called to a, a lower-level storm. And that had to be one of the biggest challenges for you, maintaining your alertness, being staying on guard, even when it seemed like it was diminishing. I mean, my husband kept from, I guess it was from like Saturday morning saying, oh, we're not getting it. And, and but but yet everybody was still in this position of what if we do right and so let me ask you what was your biggest challenge or fear or concern as you were working through all this what kept you in that alert mode probably uh, our public safety that's out in the street you know you worry about them and you got to take care of them and and my concern was the timing on this um, being able to serve the public at a certain point we it's unsafe for public safety to go out. You know, the winds go above 30, right. 40 miles an hour. And that's one of the things start that getting people water. don't understand about that. We're not going to be able to get to you in any reasonable amount of time mm-hmm. uh, until at least it passes. But the concern that I had uh, with the timeline, I should say that we had, was that depending on how, what time of night or day this was, there could be a, we, you know, we have our officers all working 12-hour shifts, uh, if they have to leave, we have to find some place safe for them to go because I didn't feel comfortable. Sometimes during a tropical storm, you can allow people to go to their homes and come back in the morning. We weren't going to take that chance. We wanted to make sure that they were all ready to go to continue working when they needed to. So, again, another change we made kind of on the fly with this event was we have for higher-level storms where we would evacuate, you know, Category 3 or above, we set up these task force sites that are located in geographic areas around the city. They're hardened buildings, wow. uh, usually state buildings mm-hmm. or government buildings that have generator power, mm-hmm. summer hospitals. And we, play, we strategically place our public safety, police, fire, and EMS at all of these facilities, and they ride out the storm at those facilities. And then as soon as they can, they can, they can start responding to calls and help people from ge- those geographic areas that cover the entire city. So we set two of those up just to make sure predominantly the police had a place to stay. You know, firemen have the firehouses. They're good. Our plan calls for the EMS ambulances. They go to firehouses. So they, they're they all for lower-level storms. For higher-level storms, like I said, we all go to these, these sites. Um, but the police are kind of – they can stay in the stations, but sometimes the stations can get water in the streets around them, things like that. So we opened up the uh, Morial Convention Center, which already had over a 1,000 National Guard there. 
So, wow. so we had police and National See, Guard. See, there are so many things that we didn't behind s- the scenes. I'm giving you the inside. That's why I was asking you. I wanted to know, you know, where were all those hundreds of bodies? Right. And um, then Turo Hospital. Uh, oh, we have an okay. agreement with Children's and Turo. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't go to Children's because they were they were full operational, fully operational. So is Turo, but you know, their Children's is a very busy hospital, and uh, we said, would you mind? And they said, how about Turo? And we said, okay. You know, okay. And, that's, and that's fine because the plan did not call for us to actually even use these sites, but we did because we were concerned that um, about our first responders being able to be in the right place at the right time when they're needed. I tell you, I, I was, as I, as I said, as we began this conversation, um, very impressed with what I was seeing on, on, on television. I, I was a, t- a broadcast reporter at one point. Oh, wow, and okay. I had to run out on these storms yeah. almost every season and um, deal with what was happening out in, in the, uh, uh, on the roads and streets around. So I, I could tell from watching that everybody really had this thing um, uh, under their belt and really well organized. So I'm, thank you. Thank you very if much. If I'd like to say one more thing, technology has really changed what we're doing. And we have NOLA Ready, which is a, responsible for oh, a lot of the communication we did. And I just wanted to get this out there because it's important. Yeah. We, um, we have many different ways to, uh, to, to reach the public now besides uh, traditional media, which is still our biggest partner. And I think social media is... And they all did a great job too, by the way. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and we're able to use social media and have traditional media follow us and get the message out so much quicker than press releases and phone calls and all these right, other things. Right, right. And we're able to do that. But NOLA Ready, ready.nola.gov, you can sign up for alerts. Uh, you can text your zip code to 888 I want to encourage people to do that yeah. because I, I really I found it terrific to be able to get on my phone and, and find that NOLA Ready right away and, and get the latest update even when I didn't have the time to I think we had 35,000 people sign up in 24 hours for Barry. Now, I was going to ask uh, you that number. Yeah, Great. And, and a total of uh, over 70,000. Just alone in this all together are now on NOLA dot. Uh, well, just the just the text function. We've got uh, over almost two hundred thousand signed up, uh, are available to alert through our system. And wow, that's fantastic. And so we're leveraging that. We're using it wisely. We're using it when it's needed, and uh, and it, I, it's made a huge difference. I think you'll see. Uh, I know you're going to see in in uh, hopefully not future events, but we will always have future events. You will see that level of community involvement and that level of alerting uh, that we'll be doing. I, I, I know that that's going to happen. Well, uh, I think we've changed. There, there's been a, it's a paradigm change is what's happened. Uh, I, 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 that was what was very obvious, I think, to anybody who was paying any attention to what was going on. Um, but uh, as you said, the community engagement was another big part of it. And um, I have with uh, us in the studio also Patrick Armstrong with NOLA Trash Mob, one of my favorite <laughs> nonprofit organization names. <clears throat> and, and what I wanted to hear uh, you talk about, Patrick, and obviously this is one of the things that you guys kind of took on, there are only there are certain things that the city can do. There are certain things that citizens can do. And one of the things that citizens can do that can make such a huge difference, because you'll have to remind me of the tonnage, but the tonnage of junk that winds up in our sewer lines is just awesome, just really frightening. And, and so when I heard that, that's when I decided I wanted to have somebody come on and talk about 
how we can keep a better eye on our catch basins and how citizens can do their share. And that's what you do. That so is, tell me about that. That is one of the things that uh, I do. I, I, I want to point out, thank you for having me on the show. And, uh, and again, I'm not uh, a professional uh, like Mr. Arnold. You're a citizen. And, and I'm just a citizen. And um, what we do uh, at NOLA Trash Mob is we get citizens together to either pick up trash or and, – and a big part of that is helping clean out the catch basins. Um, and the city has, uh, ever since Mayor Cantrell uh, came into office, she has two big social media – uh, campaigns, hashtag clean up NOLA and hashtag the catch basin challenge, or hashtag catch basin challenge. And, uh, what these are is they are, uh, encouragements for citizens to go out and onto their blocks where they live and, uh, clean up the, the garbage and, and check the catch basins on their block, the storm drains to make sure that they're not clogged. Uh, at least the the catch basin face, and that's the opening of the catch basin that goes into the streets. The city doesn't uh, officially want any citizens to open up the catch basin oh, and go in. This is something I've been wondering about. Yeah, yeah they, that's what, not what, what can we do, and what should we yeah, do, and exactly. what shouldn't we be doing? Uh, and that's that's something I think a lot of people are confused on because I, I think was very there's, confused there's about a lot that. of folks mm-hmm. that think the city is constantly asking people to go out and lift up these 200 pound lids of Grace. the catch basin and get in there with their with their you know garden shovel on their own. That can be a really, really difficult task. What the city is asking and and what we've been able to do at NOLA Trash Mob and all the organizations that we partner with is we talk about cleaning uh, the leaves, the dirt, the trash out from in front of the catch basin. Everybody can go out to their block and they see the storm and there's an opening uh, and that's where the water goes when it rains uh, off the street. And what will happen in the springtime and in the fall, all the oak trees lose their leaves and uh, and the the little fuzzy oak tree pollen gets on the streets. And when it gets wet in a storm in front of a catch basin, it can become as hard as concrete. uh, And it makes it really difficult for water to go into those catch basins. Wait, let me stop you right there. It can become as hard as concrete. The pollen? The, The pollen, if it cakes up. Uh, enough, it becomes just a, a cake of dirt. Because it, it, it just absorbs the moisture, and then it just and you just and you just it's like wet, it's like scraping it's wet sticky concrete. too. You know, it's, it's like what you disgusting. get in your windshield sticky. under your wind, yeah. windshield wipers in your car. It just it, yeah, it just clogs right. up in okay. there. That's exactly that, that right. And what the city is asking, and what we do at uh, Nola Trash Mob is we we encourage people to go out with you know garden rakes, uh, fan rakes, shovels, uh, and just clear that away from the front of the catch basins, mm-hmm. um, and to 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 bag that up, uh, or or you can compost a lot of it. Uh, mm-hmm. You can put the trash if you find trash or Mardi Gras beads and things like that. You can throw those in the trash or recycle them. Uh, the the organic matter. You, if you have composting, you can do that, or you can just bag it up and 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 put it in the trash can for the second collection day of the week uh, that sanitation holds. Um, and you can also at that point check inside the catch basin because you can see in the opening. And if you look inside it and it's full of debris. That's when you want That's to make a when phone you call. want to make a phone call to 311. 311. And mm-hmm. let Department of Public Works know mm-hmm. uh, to come out to the catch basin and uh, with the vacuum truck and clear that and and they are the professionals. They'll come out and they will they know how to open the lids. 
The city doesn't want citizens doing it. Like I said, these lids can be up to 200 pounds. If you make a mistake and drop it on your hand, you might lose a finger. Nobody wants that. Let, uh, let me just ask you realistically um, how long it takes uh, for, a, for a call to 311 to translate into a vacuum truck hitting your catch basin. I am not sure how uh, with the time frame. Because I'm just that. thinking that maybe this is something that needs to be done at the very first signs of a coming storm and not at the last minute when it's, oh, it's really coming. Now i got to go out there. And well, by that right. time, the, it's, it's too late. I'd say it should be done constantly. Yeah, it's, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Exactly. All, all the time. Is, you know, part of this whole project is just putting eyes on these things and looking at them, you know, and realizing uh, that if it's a bigger job than you can do with yourself and your neighbor in a rake, call 311, and they're going to get to it, you know. Uh, it, it depends on how many trucks they have working, how many trucks they have on the street. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more trucks in the near future, I can tell you, with some we of this infrastructure <laughs> and the, the fair share money that is a big a big part of this is the drainage on the public works side, not necessarily also on the sewage and water board side, of course. But, you know, sewage and water board maintains that, you know, their system is has been uh, quite uh, beneficial and robust lately as far as how many pumps they have working, how much power they have. But if the water can't get to them, they can't get rid of the water. So right. I think there is a, a part of this w that involves, you know, the actual storm drains and the drainage itself. And that's why I wanted you to come in, Patrick, as opposed to Kassan. Is that his name? Yeah, Mr. Cor Gassan Corbin. Yes, Corbin. Yes, he's, so, he's so impressive also. And, um, I, he's I think one of the most down-to-earth people I've ever met. I mean, he's I, legitimately. I, I, I just think we all felt so much more confident about what's going on with him. But at the same time, as you said, I know that it, it starts at the cash basin. So I really wanted to hear, you know. So I just want to reiterate. How, how did you, uh, you've organized people in your area, okay? How did you do it? How, if I wanted to get the people on my block together to work on this so that we all would sort of took our turns and let's say for the next three months so-and-so watches them. And that's, now, tell me how, what, what, well, I didn't, the, the, the key to it. Okay, well, I didn't, I didn't start the NOLA Trash Mom. A couple friends of mine did several years ago, uh, and they rode their bikes past um, uh, Comiskey Park every day on their way to work in like 2014, which was being used as a well, – there's, there's an empty lot that was being used as an illegal dumping site. And they got tired of it, and they said, well, instead of a flash mob where everybody shows up and they do a, do a dance, <laughs> let's host a trash mob uh, oh, where everybody shows up and brings gloves and their, and their, and their yard tools, and we'll, we'll just go ahead and clean up trash. And I, I think, uh, looking back, I think we cleaned up about a ton of trash that first day wow. uh, when 40 people showed wow. up. Um, and uh, they had just they just put the idea out on social media, and people from the community and the neighborhood showed up. And that's how we're doing this: is sharing it with um, organizations, uh, churches, neighborhood groups. Uh, our current format is the Mid City Neighborhood Organization got a uh, Healthy Communities grant from the Keep Louisiana Beautiful, uh, and we bought. Trash grabbers from what? From what? From Keep Louisiana Beautiful, uh -huh. it's the statewide agency, uh -huh. um, and we we use that funding to buy trash grabbers. Those are the little lit litter claws. Trash. We, trash grabbers. I, I like yeah. the sound of that. Yeah, you can pick them up for about twenty dollars at Home Depot or Lowe's, uh -huh. and uh, you we picked up giant contractor bags and uh, some some 
dustbins and gloves and, and shovels and the garden rakes. The garden rakes are the metal ones that are like a claw. And that's where you can really get into the catch basin cleaning is when you've got some shovels and some garden rakes to, to really get the uh, really get the debris out from in front of those those storm drains. And then compost it or dump it. Or dump it, exactly. Whichever needs to happen. Exactly. Um, so, a gentleman, if I can ask a closing question of both of you, um, what's next? We start this all over. We uh, we have to be ready for every eventuality that comes our way, you know, and so that's why signing up for the alerts, like I was saying, uh, reviewing your preparedness at ready.nola.gov, uh, that, that's going to be key because as you opened up with, we're, we've really just begun hurricane season. We've got about four months we need to get through, and um, we obviously hope that nothing happens. But I think that what you saw last week, uh, I hope very much, is what you're going to see again if we have to go into that mode, and that is giving the people information as soon as possible, accurate information, what they need to make decisions. And I, and I think that when they have that information, they do it. They make correct decisions. Patrick, from your side? Uh, from my side, I would just say, I would just tell people to go ahead and not wait for the next storm. Uh, go out uh, into, your, uh, into your neighborhood and community. Uh, find your neighborhood organizations or your churches, or just go outside on your block. And, and check the storm drains. Get your best uh, buddies on the block yeah, together. Just, just, yeah. just look at the storm drains and see if, if, uh, if they're clogged or if they're open. Uh, during the next re- regular rainstorm, make sure that they're draining. And if they're not draining or if they're clogged, uh, if there's something that you can't handle yourself just by moving leaves out from in front of it, uh, uh, call it into 311. Report, the, report clogged catch basins to DPW. Uh, Right now, post-storm, they're going to be much more energetic about getting things cleaned. But the big thing, adopt your catch basins. Adopt your catch adopt, basins. The city has an initiative. Adopt they have a basin. website, adopt your catch basin, uh, and, and, and keep, keep an eye on it. And if it gets clogged up or doesn't drain, report it to the city. I think we need some kind of a, a, a competitive prize deal going on here, you know. <laughs> Let's say... If somebody keeps uh, their their block the the uh, cleanest and the uh, and the most open and the least accumulation of water. And I can tell you, you know, even though I'm kind of in a high ground area, I'm right on Esplanade, about midway, and and we we are we're high. Mm-hmm. But the water accumulates in my street. I mean, I'm worried about getting my car up on the sidewalk even though we're so high, because I see that water accumulate. And I think the fact that that water accumulates is an indication that that catch basin is not what it ought to be. Mm -hmm. And that is at Mm catchbasin.nola.gov, if if anybody's interested in it. It's a very – Catchbasin.nola.gov. Guys, thank you so much for what you do and um, really for what – I consider to be one of the most successful efforts to work with the public and keep us informed that I've ever seen since I've been here. And I'm telling you, I've been covering, I covered storms since 1973 and lived through them ever since. And I'm one of those people who picks up, puts my stuff away and gets out of town. So I take it very seriously. Well, thank you for having me. And and thanks. Thank you for volunteering because that's the backbone of of a resilient community. It really is. Thank you. Thank you. And believe it or not, we're going to talk next with someone who's going to address what people in the arts do because they also address this. And just for your information, guys, there's going to be a big 
red lifeboat that can rescue 73 people out on Julia Street for white linen night. Not meaning that it's really going to go into service then, <laughs> but to remind everybody that we have to take all this very Well, it'll be nice to have it there anyway, yeah. just in case. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> well, you come on out. Come on out. Absolutely. White Linen Night, and that's what we're going to talk with Laura Tennyson from the Contemporary Arts Center about in just a minute. Thank you very much for coming over. Thank, thank you Appreciate for it. Us. And please think of us and call us at Crosstown Conversations at WBOK. Anytime you want to get the word out on something, give me a call. You have my phone numbers now. Okay. Will do. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. All right. We're now going to um, go into a slightly lighter uh, vein on this subject. But um, nonetheless, I have to tell you that artists take the environment very seriously. And I think that one of the things that's happened in uh, recent years is that there has been more and more uh, attention given to um, the, the arts as a way of communicating about the environment. Mm -hmm. um, now, White Linen Night is not exactly, <laughs> <laughs> this is not exactly environmental threat focus. You know, it, it's, it's a party. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful party. It reminds us that we live in the South. Uh, it is absolutely astounding to me that White Linen Night, which is on August 3rd. August 3rd, this year, Saturday It's the first night. Saturday of August, um, draws... It, uh, the, the number I've most um, commonly heard is about 40,000 people yes. out on the street. That's huge. More people than come out in October when the weather is beautiful for uh, where you are. Right. Art for I mean, uh, um, Art for Art's sake. Art for Art's sake. I, I mean, another great tradition. I, it, it's, it's, but it's phenomenal that, this, that fo folks come out in, in this incredible heat. One of the reasons is that the Contemporary Arts Center and the Arts District folks mm -hmm. there um, really take it seriously, put a lot of work into it, and make sure it's going to be always a really fantastic event. So, Laura Tennyson from this Contemporary Arts Center, Give us the highlights. What are we What are we looking at this year? What, well, what, what we are expect? so excited um, that we are actually celebrating the 25th anniversary of White Linen Night uh, in New Orleans, and that was founded by some industrious art gallery owners back in 1994 who wanted to invite locals to come out during the the doldrums of August to come and see art and and support artists. Um, and since then, um, it's been been an annual event um, that has grown and grown and grown as the Arts District of New Orleans has grown, as Julia Street has grown, as the Ogden has come online, as the National War II Museum has come online. So um, we've been guesstimating over the years that that we've attracted around 40,000 or so people. Uh, it begins at 5.30 and it runs till 9.30. Um, but it's throughout the Arts District, so it's not just on Julia, but but you can also visit the museums and um, saunter around and enjoy these incredibly specially curated exhibitions that the galleries are going to present on that night. Tell, tell me about that. What's, what's happening this year? Well, there is so many incredible work that's going to be presented, um, ranging from um, something really special at Jonathan Ferrara's gallery. He's doing a show called Diffusion with uh, jazz composer Tony DeGrati. 
um, and his work is amazing. Um, Tony Degrati, and yes. I think I mentioned this to you uh, before, but Tony Degrati was one of the first musicians that played as part of the Do Drop In series. That was one of the very first performance events ever done in the arts, now called the Arts District. Then it was kind of not way, quite right. The it was district. the burgeoning warehouse yeah. arts it district. Was, it was deserted. <laughs> It was a deserted, dying warehouse. And you district. know the history, Jean. I've oh, learned so man. much. I um, tell you, you had to be there to know the difference. It was just incredible. But um, really, it, it, Tony was one of the musicians who played in this late night jazz series that we did at the CAC. Yeah, and who knew that he was also a contemporary artist? I, I, I'm blown away by his work. Um, also at the Arthur Roger Gallery, I'm really excited about these three young, African-American Ninth Ward artist that he's going to be presenting, uh, Leonard Galman, Demond, um, Melanson, and Brandon Sertain. Um, all different, distinct artists, um, but they're young, they're rising nationally. And, you know, Arthur Rogers, one of the leading gallerists on Julia Street that represents. It's wonderful um, that he's doing that. Yeah. And Recognition for our up-and-coming artists here. Absolutely. Exactly. And making sure that um, our diverse community is represented in, in the arts. That's so important. Yes, yes. And um, several galleries, uh, including Lemieux, are they're uh, presenting a group show. Um, it's called and new and now for something new. Um, that's at Lemieux, and then of course at the CAC we do our annual open call of local and regional artists, and we have around 23 artists that are going to be featured in an exhibition called Identity Measures, and it's been curated by a special guest curator. Her name is Jordan Amerkani from the American University, and it deals with the issues around identity and how identity is shaped. Um, so we're really excited about that hosting all of these young, emerging, local, regional artists within 250 miles of New Orleans. That was the, 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 one of the con- considerations uh, for selection um, and and all of their friends and family. So we're excited to present that. So are quite a few of the artists actually not just from New Orleans but from the surrounding region? Right. From oh, that's terrific. Within, I, don't think, I think we get to see enough right. of, of work from the region. Right, when and there are some of the regional artists that we've known uh, over the years. They do some pretty darn interesting work mm-hmm. from all over. So that, that's great. I'm right, and that. a thematic thread is is how is social identity or identity shaped, um, whether gender, uh, race, uh, class, um, and so these artists are exploring those kind of themes in in their work. Um, also, we're really excited that the World War II Museum has an art exhibition this. This, uh, I, I White heard Linden about Night. that. Yeah, yeah. They have um, in, in the art of Guy de Montlore. I'm saying it probably not the right way, but um, uh, but he was an artist uh, from World War II, and um, and they're going to be presenting this great work and open their doors um, during White Linen Night. So we're really excited to include them. Um, and you know, there are so many galleries. There's around 16 different galleries that are going to be presenting work, um, and we have it all listed on on our website at um, cacno.org. You can look at the art. And we have a little mini 
web, website called TACWhiteLinenNight.com where we go deeper into information about the artists and the galleries and what they're presenting. So we encourage everyone to come out. Um, it's going to be a really fascinating White Linen Night 25th anniversary, and we were thrilled about Robert Tannen's work um, and his lifeboat. And You never know what he's going to come up with. <laughs> And when he first started talking about it, I really said, okay, how is he going to pull this one off? Because the thing is big. Yes. Big. And it's going to anchor one of our blocks um, on Julia Street. um, So folks will be able to interact with it and and experience um, his perspective and his commitment to share information about um, what you were just talking about earlier about the the risk we have here in southeastern Louisiana with with rain that's, and water. That's the point of it. Yeah. Um, so we're excited about that, and there'll be a range of other art activations throughout, from the 300 to the 700 block. So there, as well. are, there is a lot of art on the street. Um, it's uh, some, some art, some uh, uh, Luna Botanicals. Lush. It's going to create a lush garden. Um, the Yaya children are going to be on the Hancock Whitney block, presenting. Um, some new art and also doing live art paintings of their signature chairs. Oh, great. Um, so folks will be They're able to... They're actually making art. Yeah, they'll be making oh, art, That's which right. is great. We're so excited over that as well. So you'll be able to go into galleries, walk around the street, you know, enjoy some food and drinks, and you know, all of the, rev- the, the sales that are generated um, from the food and beverage and the ticket sales to our after party um, go to benefit the Contemporary Arts Center. So it's many people do not know that it's our largest uh, fundraiser, our uh, you know annually, and um, and uh, so it's uh, it's in a it's a way that locals and just visitors and everyone that comes can support art just by buying a drink, buying some food, um, and of course buying art. And going into the galleries. So important. Uh, and, and, and I hate, um, I mean, as much as we all love a great party, uh, it's so important for people to, to realize that buying art is an important way to make sure that New Orleans really grows as an art scene. Mm-hmm. Because if an artist cannot make money from the work that they do, they have to either do something else and either stop making art altogether or just not making as much or even leave town. Right. So uh, th- that's something that I think gets a little bit lost, mm-hmm. right? And I know that you with the CAC are very concerned about making sure that that message gets right. uh, uh, really highlighted again as part yeah, of Yeah, and, and the range of artists that are going to be presented by the galleries um, and uh, the open calls at, at CAC um, provide, you know, everyone with an opportunity to kind of see, well, how can I become an art uh, connoisseur, art collector? Um, you know, maybe it's with a young emerging artist that you could afford to purchase something that they are presenting. Um, or you could see something great, an artist that's established and start to understand how you can um, save for collecting one of their pieces of art as well. So we want everyone to come to White Linen Night with that in mind um, and to take pictures and share the information along social media as well so that the artists get more exposure out there right. as well. And, and, I, and I, want, I really want to make this point because I sat at last year's um, White Linen Night 
in a, a little back gallery at uh, the Boyd Satellite Gallery, where mm-hmm. Tannen had a, another show. And it, again, it was a, a somewhat environmentally themed, and people would wander in. Actually, we got a huge crowd in the back. I was really surprised. But I, I asked almost everybody that walked through, so do you like art? And they would say, oh, yeah. And I said, well, um, do you buy it? And they would say, well, no, I really can't afford mm-hmm. art. And I said, well, wait a second. I'm looking at, you've got shoes on your feet, you've got a <laughs> pair of pants on, you have a nice shirt and jacket, and you've got a nice bag. You can buy art mm-hmm. because there's so much art being made by young, underrepresented artists and emerging artists and even older artists who are not well-known. Right. Um, it's not that, it's you know, it, we, we hear so many stories about the, you know, $91 million um, bunny that right. sold at some <laughs> big old auction in New York, but that's just one little thin part of the entire art scene. Is so much available, and so I want everybody to come to um, Julia Street this year and to the CAC thinking about buying art. Right, buy it. Buying art, and and the first step is becoming exposed to it and and seeing it and 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 experiencing how you feel when you see a piece. Um, do you love it? Does it make you shocked? Does it make your mind think? Um, so that that's how you start to learn. What is it that I like? What is it that I can put up on my walls and share with my family and my children? Um, and I think that's step one in, in terms of uh, buying art uh, is first exposing yourself and your children to art. And, and a step two I want to I'll point out is that at a lot of the galleries on these big nights, the artist might be there. Yes. So come in, ask the people who are running the gallery, is the artist here? There's nothing like talking with the artist about the work to get you inspired to right. think about how it might be a part of your life. And then to think about having that in your home and where it might be is the next step. And right. that is what brings it in. Exactly. Laura, I just am um, so looking forward to White Lynn and We are year. too. And we, we got a little storm out of our way, so maybe yeah, we'll be so okay. People, <laughs> hopefully know. we have our fingers crossed. We have, you did have a, you got rained out Yeah, year. a couple oh. of years ago. Yeah. A couple of years ago, it was a really bad. It was sal- our after dark party. We salvaged kind of the experience for us. I want to mention that as well. That Please. we have about eight o'clock to midnight after you experience all the art on Julia Street to come over to the CAC. Uh, we'll have DJ Rockaway and High Identities, especially curated drag performance by the New Orleans Drag Workshop and Vincentos. Um, so that's eight to midnight, and those are that's a ticketed event. And we also have a ticketed event for VIP experience on. Julia Street at the auction house market. It's called oh, the Cool Down I didn't Lounge. Know about that. Yeah, it's really it's the what the Cool Down Lounge. The Cool yes. Down Lounge. So that's from five thirty to nine thirty as well on Julia Street. Well, eight hundred one Magazine and Julia is where the auction okay. house market is. How much and is that? That's only forty dollars uh, for that's, CAC members oh, and fifty. That's not bad. Yeah, and fifty for general admission. Uh-huh. CAC members get a discount at forty. Motivation to become a member. Yes, and it includes like um, complimentary drinks, two complimentary drinks, like bites and a beautiful space to chill out and AC um, restrooms and everything else and it's beautiful in there there's special event space um, so we have the auction house market the cool down lounge the after dark party with DJ Rockaway um, and uh, we have some incredible sponsors that I also want to just acknowledge and thank um, this could not have been made possible without the support of Hancock Whitney 
um, who's our title sponsor and who is a big supporter of the arts in New Orleans and um, has made this all possible. And, you know, once again, I want to reinforce that um, many people do not know that all the funds that we raise support the CAC and its programming of presenting great uh, local, national, international artists, uh, performing artists, and of course, the educational programs. All great. And all on August 3rd, starting at about 530. 530. 530 to 930 is With the main block of... party, and then 8 to midnight, uh, the, the, the after CAC. dark party, yes. Um, y'all come out, have a good time, and buy art. Thank you so much for coming in, Laura. We'll have a little bit more on this next week, too, in advance of um, August 3rd. Great. Thank you, Jean. Look forward to seeing you soon, and um, I'll be out there. Now, um, uh, we have two more art events to squeeze in before the end of the show, so we're going to jump right in now with Carrie Moorhead, who is the event producer for the Creative Alliance of New Orleans that is having a event this Sunday um, it is uh, the second of the uh, of the Creative Alliance of New Orleans' uh, summer Sundays, and there'll be one more in August. But let's talk about what's going to happen this Sunday, Carrie. Well, we're going to have a really interesting event. This week, we're going to have Kimberly Cook, who's the education coordinator for the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation. She will come out and help us figure out how to create our very own rain gardens and to take a green inventory of our homes and properties to better prepare ourselves for these sudden rain events that do pop up. It's a way yeah, for it's us... It's not just about hurricanes. It's about these uh, sudden floods, too. Yeah, It's a way for us to learn what we can do to contribute so that we all benefit from... Uh, from Whatever's going to happen at any point in the day, you just never know. I mean, it, it's 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 really scary. They'll, you know that storm that we had the day before the big storm? We had the big storm coming, but the day before that is when we really got hit hard with, what was it they said? I forget what it was now. Was it 10 inches of It was in some places we had 10, 10 inches of rain. So mm-hmm. the 10 to 20 that they thought were going to come for the storm, we actually had that the day before from a storm that nobody was really expecting or thinking about. What about the monster? We will be improving our monster and greening our monster. We created a monster last time out of found objects, sticks and leaves and things very um environmental that we found on property, but very monster-like. We're going to green it up uh, in the spirit of greening. Dress it it green. Yes, we're going to uh, decorate it with leaves and plants. Um, We are going to do a plant walk with a horticulturist from the LSU Ag Center. So she will help us find plants, know what we're dealing with, and help us dress up our monster in a fun inventive way. And and just so folks understand, the reason the monster is such a, a key point is that uh, there's an artist named Jonathan Myers who has these beautiful landscape paintings, and on those paintings, he has painted in these beautiful but very scary-looking monsters, and for him, they're metaphors about the threats to our uh, environment. So again, this is, a, this is a really good example of where artists have engaged um, in the issue of what happens with our um, our climate and our environment, and um, that that is a theme actually that goes on on a regular basis at the uh, crevasse 22 River House because it was at the scene of a natural crevasse in 1922. This is before the big 1927 flood, and um, it flooded all of St. Bernard, but it left kind of a little lake there, so it's a beautiful spot. 
It's amazing. Our sculpture garden is gorgeous. Um, being out there does remind you of the ecological threats that we're working with, and all of our shows do point directly to that. We also present underserved artists, artists that you haven't seen, that aren't big names, that aren't being shown in big galleries on Julia Street. It's getting newer folks out and in front of our community, folks that are from the area into the area. Yeah, and, and, and St. Bernard is, has really turned a, a, a page in the book about um, what, what um, the, the environment of the area is really all about. Uh, it, it has um, grabbed onto the idea of, of there being an art scene, of there being creative activities and, and economy in, in the area. So I'm, I'm very impressed with the leadership there on a lot of different levels, from the government to the nonprofit groups and to just, you know, individual um, leaders in the area. Sidney Torres, of course, is one of the people we have to call out since he's really, he made the the whole um, property, Crevasse 22 Riverhouse, available um, for us to use in, in any way that uh, um, we, we could um, imagine. So this is the second of the summer Sunday. Oh, by the way, you have food and drink. Oh, always. We always have Tell right Tell them nibbles. what, because I love the menu that you've put together this time. Well, we've got a, a special summer menu. We're going to do a Creole tomato panzanella with... Uh, fresh fruit, um, little sweet snacks, cookies, and pastries. And then we will also have some specialty cocktails that we make in-house. We'll have a basil lemonade with vodka as well as a really awesome spiked Arnold Palmer-esque tea. And then we'll have a fruit punch and uh, a cucumber water for the uh, for the kids and non-alcoholic drinking folks. We are a family-friendly event. We do encourage everyone to bring everyone and their families out. We will have art activities. Again, we'll have walks and talks. It's a really fun day, just a quick ride down the road. And, and by the way, the kids... The kids are going to be able to actually make art, and uh, at the at the uh, summer Sunday in May, I noticed that you had um, them painting monsters on landscapes that you made available to them. That was pretty amazing, and um, you're doing that again this time. Yes, we will be continuing that, putting our monsters in the landscape. We will also be creating a collaborative mural depicting our neighborhood as we would like it to be, with rain gardens and green improvements, and a, a little more connected than maybe we are currently. I, I'm, I'm, I, I love these summer Sundays. I think they're great. I think you do a great job with them. I've had a ball out there, and um, I look forward to people coming out. And, you know, it's really amazing what we put out there free. And um, we do, we would love it if people would uh, donate a little bit. That would be nice, but it's not required, and we just want people to come out and enjoy it. So, Carrie, have a wonderful Sunday, and everybody, 11 to 4, okay? Um, so you know that if you get out there, you, you get to eat any time during the day. The food is going to be available pretty much the whole time, so it's not like it, uh, you have to be there at any given time during the day. Um, I want to call out, because um, I was expecting to hear from the gal from the um, Tales of the Cocktail, and she hasn't called in. Any. Oh, by the way, y'all. You know, I just can't, I can't get through the end of this show without saying what a great end of the storm event that we just had to have the stones here in the Superdome. What, if you were lucky enough, and I was lucky enough that a friend of mine was um, unfortunately having to be out of town, and she was kind enough to um, offer 
um, tickets for um, my husband and I, and we, we just had a wonderful time. It was his birthday, so it was really particularly special. And um, I, I, I heard from Mick Jagger that he's been here since Wednesday because, of course, they pushed the back a day. So you know he was in all the clubs all over the city having a, a blast, and uh, good for him for ha- having uh, that fun. But toast... Um, uh, the uh, two, uh, let's see, how does it go? The Toast of the uh, Tales of the Cocktail event is going on at the Royal Sinesta in the French Quarter. It's a five-day celebration of all things cocktails. And you know that some people, at least, credit New Orleans as the home of the cocktail. There's controversy over it, but I have absolutely no doubt that this is where it started. And I'm one of those people who really does love a cocktail, more so than wine. And so this is an event that I always look forward to. So Tales of the Cocktail started on Tuesday. It goes through Sunday the 21st. It's a five-day celebration of all things cocktails. And, um, you know, the beautiful part of it is um, uh, having some exposure to the real artisans who are out there um, who really know how to do uh do cocktails and who can um, share all kinds of new ideas because one of the things that's happened in the past few years of cocktails have come uh, back into a fashion is all the new ones that have been um, created. And you never know what's going to turn up in a cocktail these days. It can be just about anything. And, um, yeah, I mean, you've, you've put the, the cocktails that you've got going for um, Sunday, um, those I, I haven't – I exactly had exposure to those before. I, I do make syrups. I have learned from some of the bartenders that I'm sure, well, that I know will be at Tails. I've watched them uh, and learned a little bit, picked up a little here and there from some expert bar managers and uh, friends that I have that are in the industry and, and do try to create something unique, a, a cocktail, not just a drink. They actually, as as part of the um cocktails they have a tour so they take you from one place to another but also um they do have awards and they have educational seminars and tasting rooms and the whole thing meet the distillers happy hour so i guess that's where you actually get to meet the people who who literally make the liquor that goes into the cocktails that's got to be interesting because you don't get to meet those people every day of the week. So um, this definitely sounds like a, a, a fun thing to do. It's a worldwide cocktail community, comes to New Orleans. This is the 17th year. It's an annual gathering. You know, we've had a kind of rough go with the storm and the flooding before that, but... Now we come up with Summer Sunday, this Sunday, in uh, St. Bernard. You know, Crevasse 22 uh, River House is only about 25 minutes downriver. It's at, what's the address again? 8122 Sarah Lane. Um, and uh, it, it's in Poitras. And I urge you to visit that. Tales of Cocktail. Next week is um, White Linen Night. And um, that's it for tonight, folks. I hear my music. And I'm getting hungry watching <laughs> watching Jazz have his munch. And I'm hoping I got some munches waiting for me at home. This is Gene Nathan. This is Cross Town Conversations. And thank you, City of New Orleans, for doing such a great job. And thank you, Cano, Creative Alliance of New Orleans, and Carrie Moorhead for the fun we're all going to have on Sunday. Good night.